get your Bible out and uh, open up with me to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today. I hope you had a great spring break and uh, you're back from spring break. Hope you had a great one. I uh, spent my spring break in Colorado Springs talking to a bunch of college students. And so it was great, man, just studying God's word and uh, encouraging them. And it was a, a great, great time. And it just reminded me of the, you know, the passion that college students have to for Jesus and for God's word and just seeing them have a heart and passion for the nations. And it reminded me that, uh, you know, back my own journey, when I was in college, that's really where the fire began to grow for, for the love of God's word and wanting to know Jesus more deeply and personally and intimately. And as I was on my way back to the airport, it struck me that you know, in the, in the normal Christian life, you, it should start off that you've got this, you know, uh, excitement about the Lord Jesus, excitement about the gospel, about the truth of God's word and what God wants to do with your life. But that should just grow every year, right? I mean, it's just like in your marriage, it should grow deeper and deeper. The more you kind of experience life, the more you experience it with Jesus, that your depth of relationship with him, your love for him, your thoughts, his thoughts begin to be your thoughts, his desire is your desire, his direction uh, for life is your direction for life. That's just how it should be, right? But unfortunately for a lot of people, it's not. It's like the early days when they were very excited about the Lord, have long since passed and they've kind of allowed their, their passion for God to wane and to become just kind of normal. You're kind of on cruise control right now spiritually or, or maybe, uh, maybe on a slow decline spiritually. Maybe you don't have that hunger like you used to. Maybe it's like the old country song, I don't love you like I used to, you know? And that could be said about your relationship with God. Um, so what do you do then? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. If you, if you need a renewal in your heart for God, if you want to know God better, then that's what we're going to learn from John chapter 10. The title of the message is Jesus, How Can I Know You More? How Can I Know You More? Uh, John 10 is one of the most enduring passages in the Bible. It's one of my favorites. And it really speaks about our relationship with Jesus and his relationship with us. And, and how it should work and how we can grow to know him in a better way. So if you need awakening, if you need revival, if you need a refreshing of your heart for God, then Jesus has something to share with you, okay? I'm glad you're here. Uh, John chapter 10, let's begin at verse one. This is the word of God. Uh, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some of the way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it up for him, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And they will never follow a stranger. And so they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So verse six says that this is a figure of speech. This is a metaphor. This is a word picture. This is an illustration of God's relationship with us and our relationship with him. And really the illustration is like a shepherd and sheep. That's how we relate to the Lord. 
you know, God really loves shepherds. He must love shepherds because all the way through the Bible, you see this endearing picture of shepherds. Most of the Old Testament leaders were all shepherds. Think about it. Moses was a shepherd. Uh, David, King David, first king of Israel was a shepherd. All the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all shepherds. And and so uh, shepherding work is hard work. I mean, you have to be constantly attentive to the sheep. You have to be courageous to defend them against predators. You have to be out in the elements of the heat and the cold and the wind and the, uh, you know, the rain, the whole bit. Uh, But they're constantly leading and guiding their sheep. And that's what shepherds do. Uh, That's uh, God's picture of his love for us. In fact, one of the most enduring uh, psalms in the Bible is the 23rd Psalm, right? which says, the Lord is my what? He's my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my soul. I mean, just this tenderness of God as a shepherd. In the Old Testament, it says the Lord led Israel through the wilderness like a shepherd leads his sheep. In fact, I love Psalm 100 verse three. It says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So if Jesus here is the good shepherd, uh, then that means that we are the what? That's right, we're the sheep. Uh, I thought somebody was going to bath here for just a minute, but nobody, nobody did it. It's okay, it's all right. Uh, we're the sheep. Yeah, now that's, I don't know that that's a real big compliment. I mean, you probably don't hang out with sheep a lot unless you're in 4-H or something like that. You probably haven't hung out with sheep very much. But sheep are not really super intelligent, right? Two things we know about sheep. Sheep are, are vulnerable and they are valuable. So they're vulnerable in the sense that they don't have any fangs or claws. They can't really defend themselves. They're really little happy meals walking around for predators. Sad but true. Uh, but, but they are also valuable in the sense that they are valuable for wool. They're valuable for food. They're valuable for sacrifice in the temple. And so the shepherd is the one that understands the value of each sheep and he watches over them and he cares for them, protects them, and leads them. Now, in the early days, ancient times, for the sake of being Captain Obvious here, sheep, you would find them in two places. One would be in the pen and the second would be in the field. Now, verses one through six, most scholars believe this is a description of the sheep in the pen. So let me try to explain it to you. Every village would have a common pen, a, kind of like a corral, if you will. And multiple shepherds would come in from the field and they would deposit their sheep in this common corral. Now, every shepherd would carefully go through each one of his sheep to make sure it doesn't have any kind of disease or some kind of injury that might infect the other Uh, sheep in the pen and once they are cleared then they would go into the pen and then so multiple shepherds bringing all their flocks in and then the shepherds would go get you know some shut eye in the village and there would be a gatekeeper that was there to watch over the sheep to be sure no robbers or thieves or predators or anybody would come in and harm them he had the night shift and then in the morning the shepherds would come out one by one the gatekeeper would open up the gate and the shepherd would call out the names of his sheep so, hey, Lucky, come on, let's go. That's the one that nearly died three times, right? Or, hey, so-and-so, so-and-so. And he would call them out by name, and the sheep would hear his voice, and they would begin to move out of the pen. And then when he got them all out, then he would get in front of them, and he would lead them out to pasture. And they would never follow somebody that they didn't recognize their voice because they knew their shepherd, and their shepherd knew them. 
So this is really the, the illustration that Jesus is giving us in the first six verses. It's a very common illustration for them. It's not so common for us, but it's a very tender picture of how we relate to Jesus. Now, here's the big idea that I just want you to take away from this morning. Jesus is your shepherd. That's really comforting to know, isn't it? That Jesus is your shepherd. I was on the phone with somebody this week that's facing uh, um, near death because of uh, illness. And as I prayed for them, I said, Lord, I thank you that you're this person's shepherd. And they don't have to be afraid. They don't have to worry about the future because you are their shepherd and you're with them. There's a tenderness and a deep love that's, that, that expresses this relationship between Jesus and his people. And so if he is our shepherd, then we need to, we need to know him. We need to trust him and we need to follow him. Amen? All right, so let's kind of dive into uh, those things a little bit more. Uh, jot, jot these thoughts down if you have uh, notes with you, paper out, pen out, uh, ready to hear God speak to you, amen? All right, number one, jot this down. You need to know your shepherd. If you want to know Jesus more, then you need to be sure that you know him. You need to be sure you know him. Uh, look at verse seven. Jesus said, again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief only, uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance." So the first thing, if you want to know Jesus more, if you want to grow closer in your walk with Jesus, you need to be sure that you know him personally. It's not enough that you know about Jesus. It's not enough that you've read a lot of books about Jesus or you studied him like a historical figure, but, but you know him personally and deeply in a saving way, in a personal way. And so Jesus starts off here saying that I am uh, the gate all right, underline that in verse seven, I am the gate. He repeats again in verse nine, I am the gate. Now, what does he mean here, I am the gate? Well, once uh, the sheep left the pen, they would be out in the field and they would stay out in the field for a long time. They're, they're looking for places to graze. And of course, it's rocky territory in Israel. So they would find patches, other areas that there's not a lot of food to graze on or, or grass to graze on. So they would keep moving. And sometimes they would be too far out to make it all the way back into the village. And so the shepherd would have to protect them in the field. So that's what we have here, in, starting in verse 7, is you have the sheep, not in the pen, but now in the field. And in the field, the shepherd had to improvise. So many times he would get a cave and he would put all the sheep in the cave. That was probably the most protected space. But if he didn't have that, then he would make kind of a makeshift corral with stones. There were stones everywhere. So he would build a little stone structure and he would put the sheep in there. Now, I saw this firsthand. I remember years ago, I think it was my first trip to Israel. We were out in a remote part and we were walking along a ridge and our guide stopped and he said, look at that down there. And I looked down in this valley area and there was like a little horseshoe shaped stack of stones. And he said, uh, you know what that is? And he goes, John 10, come on preacher, you know what that is? You know? And uh, I said, what? He said, that's, that's a sheep pen. He said, the, the shepherd built out this little stone fence 
And then he would get all the sheep in it. And then he would lay down at the door. The shepherd now is the gate. So that no sheep could get out without him knowing. And no one could get in without him knowing. So Jesus here, when he says, I'm the shepherd and I'm the gate, he's really saying all the same thing. He's saying, I am the gate. Now, what what does that mean for us? Uh, What it means is that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to reconciliation with God. He's the only way to be right with God. He's the only passageway. He's the gate. You know, a lot of people think that uh, the road to heaven is like a big highway, right? You just, there's a big highway and it's all leading to heaven. You got different lanes and you kind of pick your lane. You know, you might have different religions. You may have different other thoughts and religious ideas, spiritual ideas. It's okay. It's, they're all just different lanes, all leading to heaven. And we're all going to get to heaven going down this big highway and you can pick your lane. And Jesus says, no, that's not it. There's one gate. Heaven, getting to heaven is less like a highway and more like a turnstile where you're going one by one through a small gate. In fact, look at verse 9. He, he really enforces it. He said, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You need to underline or circle the words by me or through me, however it references in your Bible. That is, in the Greek, it is emphatic. By only me, by exclusively me, is what he says here. Same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 7, right? Enter in at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road leads to destruction and many go thereby, but narrow is the gate and and hard is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So here here Jesus is saying, if you want to know what it means to be, I am the gate, it means you've got to enter through me. The only way you can be right with God is through me. Now he gives a warning here that anyone else who tries to tell you any different, they're thieves and robbers, right? They're not coming in through the gate. They're trying to go around, right? A lot of time the robbers or their thieves would, would slip in over the corral at night and they would slit the throat of a sheep so it didn't make any noise. And then they would hoist the body back over and run off with it. That, that's how they operated they didn't go through the gate because they were not legitimate. They were not, they were not uh, the shepherd. <laughs> and so he said, anybody else that tries to avoid me is a thief and a robber. And I think he was really thinking about the religious leaders of the day. If you go back to chapter 9, we don't have time for it, but a little homework assignment. Read what happened just before Jesus goes into this whole description of sheep and shepherd where the religious leaders came against a guy that Jesus had healed and was so angry because Jesus did it that he kicked this guy out of the synagogue. And he said, you want these religious leaders? They didn't acknowledge me. They did not accept me. They are, they are hostile toward me. They are thieves and robbers. I am the shepherd that your heart longs for. You know, there's some people today that are like that. They're, they come across as religious, but they do not come by the gate. They do not point you to the gate. They, they, uh, they are not telling you the gospel. They're not pointing to Jesus Christ by faith alone. Uh, they, they believe that there are other ideas, there are other ways, and they, and they make it sound so good. They talk about unity and peace and love, and everybody's going to get to heaven, and love wins, and the whole, whole thing. And they have podcasts, and they write books, and they're on speaking tours, and they infiltrate churches, and even denominations. And Jesus is saying, do not listen to them. They have not acknowledged me. They have forsaken 
the biblical and historic gospel. Do not listen. Do not follow. My sheep won't listen to that. They may not know why it's wrong, but they know it's wrong. They may not be fully understand why that's not right, but they know something's not right because that's not my shepherd. That's not the voice of my shepherd. So he said, listen, I'm the gate. And so if you really want to know Jesus more, you have to really ask yourself the question, do I know him at all? Have I really come through the gate? Have I asked Christ to forgive me of my sin? Do I realize that he is the only way to heaven and have come to him by faith and faith alone? Secondly, jot this down. You want to know him better, you got to know him. You got to know your shepherd. Uh, number two, you have to trust your shepherd. You got to trust your shepherd. Look at verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd, and does not own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So underline that phrase there, I am the good shepherd. This is the first of, of a couple of times Jesus mentions that. You know, the wolf is the natural enemy of the sheep, right? The wolf is always on the prey for the sheep. And anytime a wolf and a sheep square off, it's just not a fair fight, right? It's just not a fair fight. The only hope that a sheep has of survival in that case is if he has a what? A shepherd that will step in between. And you can just imagine a shepherd, that's why he's got a staff, that's why he's got a big stick. And he would just try to, to, try to hold off wolves. Can you imagine how scary it would be to be the only shepherd out there? You got a, got a lot of sheep around you and then maybe a pack of wolves is coming in. It's at night, you can't see, you don't have an AR or anything cool like that, you know? Some of y'all go, what's that? Anyway, never mind. And, and you're just out there with a stick. You know, you're just out there with a stick. That's all you got. I mean, how, yeah, that's kind of scary, isn't it? And yet that's the picture he said, you know, in that moment, a hired hand is going to say, man, I, I didn't sign up for this. You know, these aren't my sheep. I'm not going to die for these sheep. I'm out of here. And a hired hand will just drop his stick and run. But he said a shepherd won't do that because they're his sheep. Because he loves them, because he cares for them. He said, I am the good shepherd. I'm not going to abandon you because I love you. You say, well, who are the hired hands he's talking to? Probably, again, probably the religious leaders of his day that really didn't care about the people, right? I mean, they, they like to exert dominance over the people. They like to control people. They liked all the accolades and all the uh, perks of being a religious leader, but they didn't really care for the people. In fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus gives seven woes to the religious leaders. Anytime a prophet said, whoa, it wasn't like, cool, whoa. It was like, oh no, whoa, all right? It was like an exercise of divine judgment, whoa to you was a, was a sign of God's judgment on you. And he gives seven woes to these religious leaders. I won't go through them all. You can look them up yourself. But one of the things Jesus said about them is he said, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. And they themselves are willing to lift a finger to move them. Wow, that's an indictment, isn't it? I mean, they don't care about you. They didn't care about this blind man who was blind his whole life and now he can see they're just upset because it happened on the Sabbath. They have no compassion for him. They didn't love him. Jesus said, you know, the hired hand, they don't, he doesn't love the sheep. The shepherd loves his sheep. 
You know, there's some pastors that are kind of like that. They love, they love the accolades. They love the, I'm the pastor. They love, they like, I want to be sure you, you call them by the, all the initials at the end of their name and all their degrees and all that kind of thing. You know, it's so funny. They, when I was at this retreat this weekend, they kept calling me Dr. Etheridge. I'm like, who is that? You know, nobody calls me Dr. I said, my own people don't even know who, that I got a doctor. You know, I mean, I don't, I just don't go by that title. It's just not important to me. But boy, there are a lot of, you know, they, they like the accolades, they like the titles, they like the, all that happens, they just don't love the people. And it's sad, isn't it? Because Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and what makes him good is that he loves you. You have a shepherd that loves you. Do you understand that? He cares for you. Now, the minute I say that, some of you are going to think this in your mind. You're gonna say, well, if, if Jesus is such a good shepherd, then why did he let this bad thing happen in my life? If he's so good, kind of like the man in the video that we just watched, why did I only get two days with my daughter? If he's so good, why did my husband pass away from cancer? If he's so good, why is my child so wayward? If he's so good, why... Uh, why do I struggle with depression the way that I do? Talked with one guy this week who's dealing with autism. And he said, I just hate the way God made me. Why did God make me this way? And obviously I can't speak to every crisis or trial that you have endured. But I can say this, that, um, well, just let me ask you a question. Do you think that every sheep is aware of the perils and the dangers that their shepherd protects them from? No. The sheep are just grazing, right? They have no idea that there's a, a drop-off here or a crevice here that they could fall into. They have no idea that the wolf is right over there. And the shepherd protects them from all the things that even the sheep are unaware of. And I do believe that our good shepherd many times is protecting us from, th from things we are unaware and we will never know this side of heaven how our good shepherd has protected us. But I also know that if there is suffering and pain that comes into our life, and by the way, it will happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That when we do experience pain and heartache and suffering, then it is our shepherd who will pick us up. It is our shepherd that will put us on his shoulders and carry us through it. And our shepherd will even use the hard things of our life for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Only our shepherd can do that. Listen, when you go through a hard time, that's not a time to push away your shepherd. That's not a time to distance your shepherd. That's a time to run to your shepherd. He will carry you. He will love you. He will protect you. He will bring healing in your life. Trusting your shepherd does not mean that trouble is not gonna come into your life. Trusting your shepherd just means that even when it does come, that he will carry you through it. So if you're struggling with difficulty, you can still trust your shepherd. He's not a hireling that doesn't care about you. He's a shepherd that loves you and that knows you. Let me give you one more, just kind of wrapping this up. If you wanna know him more, uh, want to know him better, you got to know him as your shepherd, number one. Number two, you got to trust him as your shepherd. And then number three, you, you got to follow your shepherd. 
You got to follow your shepherd. Look at verse 14. He said, I am the good shepherd. He repeats it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. And I've received this command from my father. He said, I'm the good shepherd. And I love in verse 14, he said, I know my own and my own know me. And that, that's just such a comforting thing. Just think about it, that Jesus knows you by name. Isn't that amazing? He knows you by name. You're not just some number in heaven. It, you're not number 1472368, all right? You're a person and he knows you by name. When you were saved, Jesus called you by name unto himself and revealed uh, the gospel to you and drew you to himself. He knows you by name as you walk with him and pray to him and seek him. He knows you by name. And one day when you breathe your last breath on this earth and open your eyes in heaven, he will call you by name. What a delight, what a joy, what a comfort that your shepherd knows you by name. He knows everything about you and he loves you anyway. All your quirks, all your fears, all your difficulties, all your failures, he knows you by name. And then in verse uh, 16, it is that he talks about um, that he has, there are other sheep here that are outside the pen. I have other sheep, verse 16, that are not from this sheep pen. What, what is he talking about there? You know, by the way, that's one of the most uh, abused verses uh, in the Gospels. I've heard all kinds of crazy things. Oh, this is aliens uh, from other planets or, you know, some craziness. Uh, obviously, it's not that. So what, what would he be talking? What's the reasonable understanding of another pen, uh, another sheep that are not of that pen? Well, obviously, he's talking about Gentiles here. That uh, the, the disciples were sent to first preach to the Jewish villages. But the gospel wasn't just for the Jew. It was first for the Jew, but then also for the Gentile. Jesus died not just for the Jews, but for all people. We've already seen that. He's the light of the world, right? We saw that a couple weeks ago. And so here he is saying, not only for the Jew, but now for the Gentile. We see this in, uh, repeated multiple times in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation, get this, for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the what? Gentile. So very clearly that he is first of all going to the sheep that are in the corral of Judaism, leading them out, but he is also going to go to those that are in the corral of Gentiles who are not Jews, and we're really happy about that. Somebody say amen to that, because that means we get in. And he said, that way, I'm going to have uh, those of, of Jews and Gentiles forming together one flock of mine that I will eat, and that is called the church. The church is mixed of 
all kinds of diversity. There's certainly Jews and Gentiles together. You read through the book of Acts. You go on to the epistles. You can talk about how difficult that was because Jews and Gentiles didn't mix very well together, kind of oil and water. And yet Jesus is the one that brings us unity because he is one shepherd and we are his sheep and we follow him. And so how is Jesus going to do that? How is he going to merge these Jews and Gentiles together to be one church? How is he going to do that? Well, he tells us about it in verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. He repeats this four times in these couple of verses. I lay down my life. I lay it down. I lay down my life. When I was in Colorado uh, at this college conference, um, it was at the headquarters of a ministry called the Navigators. Navigators is a uh, worldwide Christian ministry of evangelism and disciple making. It was started by a man named Dawson Trotman, who's a really just spiritual hero for me. And he's actually buried up in the mountains overlooking this retreat center. In fact, here's a little trailhead marker of the trail to Dawson's grave. And so I went up there with a couple of the students and when you get to the top, you can see all the mountains around. It's actually just beautiful out there by the Garden of the Gods. And uh, that's actually the, the view of the, the actual gravestone. Uh, Dawson led many people to Christ and of course grew into an international ministry, but he died fairly suddenly and, and unexpectedly. Uh, he was out on a skiing uh, trip with a bunch of people in upstate New York. And there was a girl that was in the boat that did not know how to swim. And the boat hit a wave and bounced her out and she fell in the water. And of course she was terrified. And so Dawson jumped into the water. He was a good swimmer. He was 50 years old. He dove into the water to save this young girl. And he kept her up until the boat could make it back around. And then he lifted her up so that she could get back on the boat. And they said when they turned back to pull Dawson up, he had just disappeared under the water. Really unexplained. But he drowned. Really at the height of his ministry. And as I was reflecting at his graveside, and I was thinking about this passage, I thought, you know, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That Jesus dove in to our world. He dove into our sin to rescue us from the judgment of God and he lifts us up into reconciliation with God and it cost him his life. Listen, Jesus was not a victim. This is not, did not happen to him. He was not unaware or caught up with the scheme of these people that are trying to take his life. No, he chose this. He said, I lay my life down. He said it four times. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down. Uh, and he went to the cross and he endured all the scorn and he suffered the wrath of God on your behalf so that you could be lifted up and reconciled back to the Father. And by the way, that's not all. He said, I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down. And I also have authority to do what? To pick it up again. And that's, that's why we celebrate Easter. Amen. That's why we worship on a Sunday, because that's resurrection day when Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and the grave, raising, rising victoriously as our King of Kings, ascended to the right hand of the Father, is coming again soon. That's King Jesus that we worship. And so, uh, listen, you need to follow this King Jesus. 
What is our response for all that Jesus has done? Look at verse 27. Just run your finger down to verse 27. Look at what he says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. There are two kinds of people in this room. There are those that do not know the shepherd. You've never given your life to Christ. You believe in God. Uh, You think going to church is a good thing. Uh, You're trying to live a good life. You're trying to be a good person, but you've never come through the gate of knowing Jesus as your personal savior. You've never bent your knee in repentance. You never asked Christ to forgive you of your sin. You've never committed yourself to following him. Then if that is you, then today is your day. Listen to the voice of your shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Today is a day to hear the shepherd's voice. And then there are other people in this room that have already come to faith in Christ. You've come through the gate, you know Jesus, but you've just allowed your heart to grow cold toward him. Then I would just say, just come back to your shepherd. He loves you. Know him again like you used to. Ask him to stir up the affections in your heart like you used to have. Trust him, even in the hard seasons, trust that your shepherd is with you and he will never abandon you and follow him in the direction he wants you to go for your life. Won't you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Our time is, our time is out. But if you're here today, I wanna to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. There's some of you that are hearing the voice of the shepherd. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online. And it is just now dawned to you that you really don't know Jesus. You've never walked through the gate in a saving way. A full trust and reliance on Jesus as a sacrifice for your sin the only hope of heaven. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So if you're in this room or you're watching online, if you, if God is, the voice of the shepherd is calling your name. If you know you feel conviction of your sin, you can hear his voice saying, this is your time. You need to come to me. Uh, Come and come to know me in this moment. You can understand that. Then I want you just to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, all right, thank you. Anybody else lift up your hand? Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I need to know the shepherd who loves me. All right, thank you. Okay, all right, you can put your hand down now. Just right where you are, if you're online, just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way, but I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Wash me clean. Lord Jesus, I want to follow you as my shepherd all the days of my life. Thank you for loving Father, I thank you, God, for everyone in this room. Lord, thank you that you are a good shepherd. 
Thank you for your love. Thank you that you never abandon us or leave us alone. That even when we walk through difficult and dark seasons of life, that you are with us. You're our shepherd and we can know you. We can trust you. We can follow you all the days of our life. And Lord, we long for that day when we will see you face to face. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Help us to follow you this week as your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. Help us to know you deeply and to trust you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.